Welcome to Lab Talk, a special edition podcast produced by the Scientists' Creative Services team, where we explore topics at the leading edge of innovative research. This episode is brought to you by 10X Genomics, which builds solutions for interrogating biological systems at a resolution and scale that matches the complexity of biology. Their rapidly expanding suite of products, which includes instruments, consumables, and software, enables fundamental discoveries across multiple research areas, including cancer, immunology, and neuroscience. Childhood cancer is devastating. Every year, over 15,000 children in the United States are diagnosed with cancer, with leukemia accounting for 28% of all childhood cancers in children under the age of 15. Leukemia, however, is not a single class of cancer. There are numerous forms of leukemia, each with its own distinct cause. In this episode, Tiffany Garbutt from the Scientist's Creative Services team spoke with Charles Mulligan, member of the Department of Pathology and Deputy Director of the Comprehensive Cancer Center at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, about the search for the molecular drivers underlying lineage-ambiguous leukemias, a diverse subclass of leukemias with unknown origins. Cancer is not just one disease. There are hundreds of different types of cancer, and even within a single type, there are a variety of subtypes. For example, there are an estimated 23 subtypes of B-cell-derived acute myeloid leukemia, the most common form of childhood leukemia. Even more confounding, hidden among the classes and subclasses of leukemia are a set of lesser-known lineage-ambiguous leukemias, in which scientists have little to no idea about their molecular or mechanistic origins. Treating these forms of leukemia is particularly difficult. Charles Mulligan has been on the hunt for decades, slowly sleuthing through mountains of genomic data to identify the unique cause of distinct subclasses of lineage-ambiguous leukemias. This is an area that's interested me for a long time. When we think about acute leukemia, it's typically classified as being either acute myeloid leukemia or acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Acute myeloid leukemia being more common in adults and acute lymphoblastic leukemia more common in children, but both types occur right across the age spectrum. There has still been this enigma of what's called lineage ambiguous leukemia. These are leukemias that have cell surface markers of multiple lineages. So, for example, they're commonly expressing features of myeloid cells and T lymphoid cells, myeloid cells and B lymphoid cells, unless commonly you might have all three. And these have not really kept pace with the molecular classification of more common acute myeloid and lymphoid leukemias, which have really seen a revolution in their classification based on molecular genetics in the last few years. Historically, scientists have classified leukemia using non-genomic approaches, such as cell appearance, cell surface marker expression, immunophenotype, or morphology. Scientists may also look for specific genetic features associated with known genetic variants or chromosomal fusion events. Within the last decade, transcriptomic sequencing helped lift the veil of uncertainty, enabling researchers to identify shared sets of molecular drivers and gene expression profiles from many common forms of leukemia. However, the molecular drivers of lineage-ambiguous leukemias have remained elusive because they often do not fit within the known set of molecular culprits. But as time has gone on, we, we've recognized that many of the subtypes that were not recognized are because 
the alterations can be a little more complex. For example, it can be a family of fusion oncoproteins that involve a single target of rearrangement. Or you can actually have many different rearrangements with many different partner genes. A very good example is a recently identified one a few years ago called pH-like leukemia, where there are a variety of different leukemic alterations that define a subtype of leukemia that has a gene expression profile that looks like BCR-able leukemia, but it doesn't have that founding alteration. And in addition, leukemias are typically not monogenic. Like many cancers, not always, but often they involve accumulation of multiple genetic missteps. Scientists often use RNA sequencing to identify changes in the coding sequences of genes. In cancer, these changes often appear as a fusion between coding sequences that result in a fused oncoprotein. However, genetic missteps can occur in both the coding and non-coding regions of DNA. In fact, many genetic drivers underlying lineage-ambiguous leukemias originate in non-coding areas of the genome, causing detrimental effects and gene dysregulation. RNA-based transcriptomic sequencing approaches often fail to detect genetic alterations in the non-coding regions of the genome. This isn't a new finding. We've known it's true in all sorts of leukemia. If you consider conventional fusion oncoproteins where you've got a break that fuses exons 1 through 10 of one gene and fuses that to exons 5 through 20 of a partner gene. That results in the expression of a chimeric fusion oncoprotein. But there are other types of rearrangement in leukemia that can actually disrupt an area of the genome that can be some way away from the actual coding region. And those may not result in the formation of an RNA chimera that can be robustly detected by conventional detection algorithms. A common non-coding misstep leading to cancer is the rearrangement of enhancers. Regulatory sequences buried within introns that promote or enhance the transcription of an associated gene. Occasionally, an enhancer sequence may dislodge from its chromosomal location during genomic rearrangements and relocate to a new location in the genome. In this new location, the enhancer sequence hijacks the regulation of nearby genes, causing them to be aberrantly activated. In a recent study published in Cancer Discovery, Mulligan and his team uncover the role of enhancers in a subtype of lineage-ambiguous leukemia. They started their investigation by performing RNA sequencing on a large cohort of over 2,000 patients, including both adults and children broadly diagnosed with acute leukemia. There were a few cases that had a conventional fusion oncoprotein that was detected by RNA sequencing, but for the majority of cases, they did not have an alteration that was detected by RNA sequencing. You could tell that there was this group of cases that had a distinct gene expression profile and it looked like it was with a non-coding region. We really needed whole genome sequencing to identify the other alterations. To identify if this distinct gene expression profile originated in a non-coding region, Mulligan and his team performed whole genome sequencing and compared their findings to their RNA sequencing results. When a gene is expressed, both copies or alleles of the gene are activated. At the DNA level, scientists expect to find both copies of a given gene. Likewise, they also expect to see two copies of the gene's mRNA. However, Mulligan and his team noticed from their whole genome sequencing results that at the DNA level, they could detect both copies of a gene, but their RNA sequencing data only showed one gene copy. That indicates that only one allele of the gene is being expressed and strongly suggests that there's some genetic event leading to one allele being deregulated. We saw that in all cases. So we were saying, aha, okay, right. Well, some of these cases have got 
rearrangement, we turned to the whole genome sequencing data and did very careful structural variant analysis, which can be challenging, but we showed that then every case that had whole genome sequencing data had evidence of a rearrangement or alteration downstream of BCL11b. BCL11b is a master transcription factor that is responsible for the early lineage commitment and specification of T-cells. Using whole genome sequencing data, Mulligan and his team identified a suite of structural rearrangements that brought non-coding enhancer genes in proximity to the BCL11b gene, resulting in an enhancer hijacking event that caused BCL11b to be aberrantly expressed. Even among this subgroup of patients, Mulligan and his team observed a variety of chromosomal alterations. One class of alterations consisted of interchromosomal rearrangements that brought non-coding regions from elsewhere in the genome and juxtaposed them to BCL11b. Another class, accounting for approximately one-fifth of the alterations, amplified a small 2-kilobase region downstream of BCL11b to abnormally high levels. Some of the genes that were being rearranged made sense. There were genes like ETV6 or RUNCS1 that involve proteins that have a normally very important role in hematopoietic development and are rearranged in other forms of leukemia. But often the, the breakpoints of those genes were intergenic or non-coding, often some distance away from the gene. And the overall suite of those partners together didn't really make a coherent story. We didn't quite understand why. The next step was to see whether they were representing enhanced or hijacking we had speculated for some time that these lineage ambiguous leukemias may be ambiguous because they represent transformation of a very early hematopoietic stem or progenitor cell. And that led to us pursuing this hypothesis that we were seeing enhancer hijacking of BCL11b aberrantly in a stem and progenitor. Mulligan and his team collected hemopoietic stem progenitor cells from human cord blood samples and used histone-3 lysine-27 acetylation profiling to map the presence of enhancers. Histone-3 lysine-27 acetylation is an epigenetic modification associated with higher transcriptional activation. Scientists often use histone-3 lysine-27 acetylation to tag active enhancer regions. Mulligan and his team found that many of the DNA sequences implicated in the chromosomal rearrangement and enhancer hijacking of BCL11b were enhancer and super-enhancer sequences that are typically active in normal, healthy, hemopoietic stem and progenitor cells. The aberrant overexpression of BCL11b, mediated by enhancer hijacking in primitive hemopoietic cells, offers a new origin story and potential driver of lineage-ambiguous leukemias. Atopic BCL11b expression maintains hemopoietic cells in a primitive progenitor cell state and contributes to the development of leukemia. The idea of perturbations in key developmental networks also fits with the view that scientists have on the molecular origins of childhood cancer. Children are certainly not little adults, not from any perspective, but certainly not in terms of the cancers they get and the, and the ways that which they may be treated. They often have an element of genomic predisposition often from genes that regulate normal processes of blood or other organ development. And many of the pediatric cancers that are of interest, we believe, are really disorders of development gone awry. That is, there's you know, alteration of a master transcription factor or some similar alteration or mutational translocation that's hijacking and perturbing normal cell development. And that's very different from many adult tumours that may be driven by 
environmental exposure and associated with a high mutational load and associated with toxins. An estimated 80% of BCL11B lineage-ambiguous leukemias have mutations in FLT3, a common drug target that is already approved by the FDA and used in the treatment of acute myeloid leukemia and other malignancies. Mulligan and his team are investigating the interaction between BCL11B and FLT3. BCL11B inhibitors, some of which are already approved and are available on the market, may be another potential avenue for treating this specific subclass of lineage-ambiguous leukemias. However, Mulligan cautions that these potential drug applications are still under investigation. It's a very satisfying story in, in many respects, but it's not finished yet. I expect that over the coming years, we will find additional agents that may be efficacious against this form of leukemia. We're also very interested to try and examine whether it may be possible to directly target BCL11B itself when it's deregulated. And BCL11B is a transcription factor, and we typically don't think that transcription factors are easy therapeutic targets. But there are some newer approaches that offer promise there, such as targeted protein degradation. And this is an early endeavor. The enhancer hijacking of BCL11B represents just one origin story for a particular subclass of lineage ambiguous leukemias. Numerous other distinct lineage-ambiguous leukemias exist with their unique expression profiles waiting to be uncovered. By and large, the classification of leukemia has not significantly changed. While scientists still rely on traditional profiling approaches such as cell morphology and appearance, more scientists like Mulligan are choosing to include other parameters such as immunophenotype, genetics, and molecular analysis to gain a deeper understanding of the molecular drivers underlying distinct subclasses of lineage-ambiguous leukemias. Mulligan and other researchers at St. Jude Children's Hospital have made their research available through the Propel database, a free publicly available resource for patient-derived and expanded adult and childhood leukemias. Through this resource, researchers can gain access to RNA sequencing, whole genome and xenograph data, as well as research tools to better understand leukemia. I strongly believe that by better understanding mechanism that can often lead to better therapeutic approaches. We've seen a, an enormous shift in the field of conventional acute leukemia as well as many other tumours over the last decade or so where conventional diagnostic approaches have been refined or replaced by implementation of genomics. This is a very good example of this because many of these patients were defying easy classification they were not then allocated to a therapy that might be testing the activity of a conventional or novel approach according to the subtype of leukemia. So even before one considers the actual best therapy for the patients, we've now got a molecular marker by which past and future studies can more accurately classify their patients and look at outcome responses to different therapies. We anticipate this is just one of a series of studies that will continue to come out in the next couple of years where we've moved from non-genomic approaches to SNPRA profiling, RNA sequencing, now large cohorts with integrated RNA sequencing and whole genome sequencing. We anticipate that in the next couple of years, we'll have a much more complete risk stratification approach for our patients that utilizes genomic diagnosis. Some of it will be more amenable to immediate changes in the way we treat. Some of it will require a hard and long road of mechanistic work and, and preclinical studies, but um, it's an exciting road.
Thank you for listening to The Scientist's Lab Talk. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Tiffany Garbutt. Thanks again to our sponsor, 10X Genomics. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts.